Well, good morning, Courtright. Uh, my name is Justin Sitzma, and uh, it is a privilege this morning to share with you as we finish out this little four-week series we've been doing called Hard Pressed, uh, talking about the different facets of suffering. Uh, and Alex and Allison uh, have done a brilliant job the past number of weeks uh, giving us kind of different stories. Alex with uh, Job and Jacob, uh, Jacob wrestling with God, uh, and then Allison last week with the Beatitudes. And uh, this week, my hope today is to drive home the realities and maybe even the beauty of suffering with scripture and story. And I want to strike a delicate balance between uh, the truth about God and the nature of suffering. Uh, and I'm going to share a little bit of my own story in that mix. And it's a delicate balance because in our world today, we're really captured by stories and we're moved by stories and experiences. But stories and experiences only tell a picture or a piece of the entire story. Our stories are important. Our stories matter. Our stories should be seen and heard and validated. But sometimes, sometimes our stories can get entangled with lies that we believe about ourselves, lies that we believe about other people, and lies even that we believe about God. So we always want to contrast our story against or in light of God's story. And in our passage today from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, the Apostle Paul just mirrors this brilliantly. He shares his story. He gets deeply vulnerable. He shows his weakness, but he contrasts his story in light of what Jesus says. So let's pray and then we'll read together. Lord God, we just give you this time now. God, even as we are unable to gather together, we know that your church is still the church. And God, we pray that you would enable us and equip us by your spirit to take these words, to hear from your scriptures and to live them out in whatever capacity we're able right now. So Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. We pray this in your name. Amen. So just as we read, um, the first few verses in this passage are admittedly a little bit bizarre, and we're going to spend a bit of time unpacking them, um, but it's not the primary focal point of our time together. So I'm not going to camp out there for a very long time, uh, but we're going to kind of explain them a little bit. So uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, starting at verse 1, moving through to verse 10. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows. He was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. 
but I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. So Paul describes here this vision, this revelation, this ecstatic, otherworldly experience that he had 14 years prior to the writing. Um, Paul seems to want to separate himself from this man. Um, and he, so he refers to his prior self in kind of the third person. And he boasted about this man's experiencing uh, of God's revelation. Paul boasted as a way to get through to the Corinthians. Boasting, he says, is foolishness. But if he's going to boast, he might as well kind of take this extreme, almost kind of sarcastic, hyperbolic measure to let his point truly sink in. So he speaks of a vision, a revelation, an experience that he had where he's not even sure whether it was kind of a a bodily experience or whether it was just in his mind. Um, Whether Whatever this experience was for Paul, it was something beautiful and wonderful and inexpressible. He just didn't even have the words to describe it. It's almost in the way that he is writing, it it seems like he can't quite talk about it properly. And it was a gift from Jesus for him to have experienced that. Paul is saying here, I could boast about the experiences of that man 14 years ago. It wouldn't even be inappropriate or foolish because in fact, it was true. But he would rather focus his efforts on something a little bit more counterintuitive, boasting in weakness. All throughout the latter portion, the past number, cha- number of chapters of 2 Corinthians, um, Paul is trying to create a case for himself. And it would seem that there were possibly other missionaries or evangelists who were making claims of these ecstatic visions from God. And Paul's kind of saying like, yeah, I could compete with you in that realm. In fact, I would probably win, <laughs> but I won't. I would much rather boast in Jesus. Paul then says uh, that so he would not boast in those great great revelations that God had given him, that that he had been given what he called a, a messenger of Satan or a thorn in the flesh. The word picture in the original language is that of a thorn or a splinter that just won't go away. I kind of liken it. I imagine walking through a field and a little thistle getting stuck in my shoe. And that happened to me quite a lot as a kid because I would go to kind of the local uh, pond and go frog catching with my friends. And I would inevitably get something in my shoe. And especially with those little thistles, you try to take your shoe off and find it and take it out, but you can't find it no matter how hard you try. So you're totally totally unable to remove this pain and every single step just is terribly painful. Paul doesn't reveal to the reader what his proverbial thorn was, this pain that was constant and with him at all times. 
And the fact that he doesn't tell us what it is 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 kind of helpful, but it's also kind of a little bit frustrating because we want to know. We want to know what Paul of Tarsus, the, the famous Paul of Tarsus, struggled with. And some have speculated, they've speculated lots of things over the, over the centuries, but some have said that maybe Paul didn't want to share what it was um, because it was something he was ashamed to write about publicly. Maybe it was an inner battle of sin or an embarrassing physical ailment. Uh, you could kind of imagine that uh, the Paul who um, oversaw the healing of many and personally healed many, in fact, Paul brought uh, a young man back from the dead, um, that you could imagine that he feels a little bit embarrassed that he did all those wonderful, miraculous things by the power of God, but God will not heal him of this affliction. Others have speculated that it was a physical issue of some kind, a failing eyesight, a chronic pain of some kind, epilepsy. Others have suggested it was a little bit more of an internal struggle, lust or depression or anxiety. Whatever Paul's thorn was, the fact that he doesn't name it is a little bit of a gift or a little bit of a blessing to us because it helps us to enter into the story, to see ourselves in Paul, to think of our thorn and how we might respond to it. And I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. And I don't know if it was intentional or not, uh, but here we get kind of a little subtle callback to the first two weeks of our series. Um, Paul first mentions this thorn in the flesh, a way to keep him from seeing himself as some sort of super apostle, as he mentions in the previous chapter. It's kind of a way for him to keep his pride in check. And this reminds me of Jacob from a couple weeks ago who wrestled with God and ended up with a limp, a physical ailment that he carried with him that reminded him that he's not God. (laughs) Paul then mentions this really intense image. he, He mentions a messenger from Satan, that this is the source of the thorn permitted by God. We get a little mini theology of suffering here. We call that um, kind of the theological term for that is a theodicy. That's not the odyssey, but theodicy. Look that up and there's lots of great things we can learn about the nature of suffering when we study theodicy. Um, But Paul perceives that in order uh, to not allow him to get conceited, Paul or God allowed, but did not necessarily ordain Paul's struggle. Again, this reminds us of this first chapter of Job, where we see this cosmic battle behind the scenes, this kind of supernatural behind the, the curtains sort of discussion that things, things that we'll, we'll never be quite aware of this side of heaven. And he pleads with the Lord to take it away. He says he pleaded three times. Now, that likely, surely doesn't mean that he prayed only three times over the course of however many years he's had this. It doesn't mean that, you know, like upon his infliction with whatever it is that he said, okay, I'm going to pray three times and just hope that God takes it away. Um, Much more likely it was that in three different and unique seasons of his life, he prayed with different degrees of intensity. I have to imagine that Paul prayed nearly daily for this to be taken away, but that in different parts of his life, maybe initially when he first struggled, when he uh, first was inflicted, and maybe at other points where it was a particularly challenging season or where he felt particularly despondent or frustrated with this thorn, he would have uh, been committed to prayer in a deeper way in those seasons. And then Jesus speaks into this pain. 
And he speaks these uh, beautiful, memorable words to Paul. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Jesus chooses a different way here. He, he chooses the way of weakness. He says that it is in weakness that we find that Jesus is enough, that his grace is wide enough, high enough, deep enough, broad enough, that his grace is marvelous enough to not only cover the sin of the world, but also our brokenness and our weakness. This is a beautiful and astonishing claim. Even more, he makes this bold statement that his power, that Jesus' power is made perfect through our weakness. That, Paul, that as Paul accepts his struggle and leans into Jesus, Jesus shines brighter and brighter and God's kingdom manifests itself in greater and greater ways. And so this kind of weakness, with this kind of weakness, Paul considers it noble and good to boast to boast in our weaknesses, to rejoice in our limitations and our struggles, to be content in all circumstances, even hardships and persecution. And we're going to work through sort of the seeming impossibility of that in just a moment. But he ends with this beautiful summary statement that if I ever got uh, a scriptural tattoo of some kind, I would uh, get this. It would say the following. It would say, for when I am weak then I am strong. This is the nature of the beautiful upside down kingdom of God where the values of our world like strength and pride and self-sufficiency, those values are in direct odds with God's kingdom values, weakness particularly here. Allison last week did a beautiful job taking us through the Beatitudes and, and you pick up on a theme there that there is a lot of weakness in those Beatitudes. And so there's kind of a tie in here. I think we could create our own little Beatitude out of this. Blessed are the weak for Christ's power is in fact perfected in their weakness. Paul's life Though it was marked by pain, it was dramatically altered by the grace and by the power of God. Now, I'm not always quick to uh, quote from a Bible commentary because even though they can inform uh, what uh, we preach on or how we understand scripture, they can often be a pretty dry. Um, but this was just too good to pass up and it sums up really, really well uh, so much of what we've been talking about these past few weeks. And so this is uh, uh, from a commentary on 2 Corinthians by a guy named Paul Barnett. Uh, and it says these words. In some mysterious way, it is within God's plan that our present existence is marked by sin and suffering. From one point of view, God abhors and hates these things and will one day overthrow them. And yet, it, is it not through the awareness of our sins that the grace of God holds us near Christ for forgiveness right through our lives? And is it not also in the pain of the suffering of both body and mind that the same grace pins us closer to Christ who says to us, my power is made perfect in weakness. What, is it, what does it look like to boast in our weakness? 
What does it look like to delight in our weakness? What does it look like for Jesus' grace to be sufficient, to be enough, for his power to be perfected in our weakness? It all sounds nice, but it can kind of... uh, devolve into cliche if we're not careful. It's not exactly some switch that we can just kind of flip on. I I don't believe that this is something even that we can just decide to do one day. I'm just going to decide today to to boast in my suffering and my weakness. That's just not uh, normal. It's not how humans operate. So I want to drive home what this could look like just by sharing a little bit of my own story for just a few moments this morning. And it's, it's been a number of years of processing this and, and I'm certainly, I've certainly not arrived, but I've gotten to a point in my story where I can comfortably share my hopes that Jesus will continue to be perfected in my weakness. So my story is that I am a survivor of childhood trauma. Now, I recognize that that's, that's pretty broad and intentionally so. I had a good and beautiful upbringing with two parents who made me feel very loved and very safe. And I'm sure they're watching right now. And mom and dad, I love you. Happy Mother's Day, mom. But I also, of no fault of my parents, had some deeply formative painful experiences. These experiences uh, have nearly 30 years later left an indelible mark on the person that I am today. Trauma can be a massive range of, sorry, it can cause a massive range of of struggles that often surface after adolescence. Things like uh, self-harm, self-harming behavior, depression and anxiety, disordered eating, chronic pain, relationship challenges, that's just scratching the surface. But the reality is at various points in my life, I could look to any any of the things on those lists and put a little check mark beside them. This is my thorn. And there have been seasons, like it seemed for Paul, where this thorn became this all-engrossing, all-encompassing thing where the pain was just too much to bear. There's this thing that happens for many who struggle with complicated trauma where they feel often completely, entirely, irreversibly broken. There have been times where I told my wife and uh, we just celebrated 11 years. Uh, I love her so much. She is an amazing woman. But um, there were times when I told my wife that she'd be better off leaving me because I felt I was irredeemable, that I was beyond hope. This is my thorn. But there have also been deep and wonderful seasons of healing and revelation. Times where I've learned and grown in my understanding of who I am in Christ in light of that inner pain. There have been times when I have pressed through the pain to find beauty and hope in the middle of struggle and where I've experienced breakthrough and where God has met me profoundly in that place. There have been countless times where I have felt the Holy Spirit nudging me to share my story only to find out that people were deeply relieved to find out they weren't alone, 
um, that I, I shared and they were like, me too. It, it happened to me. And they are suddenly, they have this door open to them where they realize that they can begin to heal. They don't have to live like they've been living anymore, frozen and numb to the world. But in spite of the beauty and the wonderful things that have come, it is still my thorn. I have often closed my eyes and I have imagined Jesus saying these words from 2 Corinthians 12 to me, where he says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. They've been words of incredible comfort for me to hear, to think that God, the God of the universe can use my weakness, that God can take my suffering and use it in some way to bring glory to himself and to bring hope to those who are hurting, to usher in God's kingdom in some way. It's wonderful and beautiful to consider this, to consider the reality of what God can do with our hurts. That's a weakness that I can boast in this morning. But for some of us, these words might sound trite rather than hopeful. They sound nice, but for many of us, they bear no resemblance to our current reality. Boasting in weakness sounds silly and unfruitful, and the idea of finding delight in pain or weakness sounds, frankly, insulting. What I will say is this. I noticed that Paul, if you read through the passage, Paul doesn't really, uh, does not really make anything specifically a commandment in this passage. This whole passage is just, is deeply personal, right? He doesn't say, so friends, um, delight in your weaknesses. And if you don't, um, you're, you're sinning. <laughs> no, he says, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses. This is a lived experience that he's had after decades of working through and processing this thorn. This is a lifelong journey that he's talking about. I can guarantee you, if you talked to him two decades prior, he would not be talking about his weakness as, uh, as something to boast in or something to delight in. I do believe, don't get me wrong, I do believe that as we unpack our thorns and our weaknesses, um, that we can delight in them. I have been there and I'm often at that place where I can see where God has taken something wretched and terrible and he's turned it into something beautiful. But I can't sit here and tell you to delight in your weaknesses <laughs> and that if you don't, you're kind of lacking faith or whatever. Uh, that's just simply not true. That just means you're at a different stage of your story and that is okay. It's something that Paul likely took years to arrive at, as I said, and it's something that you personally, that we personally have to arrive at in our own time as the Holy Spirit speaks to us and does a deep work on our souls. This is a really important point um, for many of you who are companions to someone who is working through the implications of their own thorn, that it does us no good it does none of us any good to guilt or shame people into finding blessing in their pain. You're just going to turn them away from, from dealing with it. 
We can often jump to phrases like, you know, God has a plan for your pain or God never wastes a hurt or God will use this in some way. And those words might be factually true, but they can circumvent the process. So speak truth, but don't jump over the journey of self-discovery as God teaches them. We might kind of have this discomfort with the messiness of our thorns and our weaknesses, but don't fast track the process of healing to just not you know, deal with your own discomforts. When we discover something of our, of our own learning and our own wrestling with God, we truly own it. We truly live it out. Then we can get to that place where we can say with absolute certainty, when I am weak, then I am strong. There, there are two temptations that we run the risk of with our personal thorns in the flesh. And in the couple minutes we have left, I'm just going to share them. It'll only take a minute and then we'll wrap up. Um, the first temptation is to fight our weaknesses to reject it and to see it as some evil that needs to be overcome, even when the, overcoming it is actually an impossibility. You know, the, the problem is, is that you're dealing with, what you're dealing with might be a, a chronic pain or an illness or a mental health issue that there truly is no resolution, that, you know, you've prayed continually for God to heal and God has chosen not to, um, but we continue to buck at it. We continue to fight and if there's no resolution, you're going to be left constantly deflated and discouraged. The other extreme, the second response is to just completely abdicate our weakness, to relent and just sit back and do nothing, to accept our lot in life and to live with this unresolved pain and suffering, numbing our pain with all kinds of unfruitful tactics. And Paul, Paul chose a different way. He acted. He prayed fervently for God to act and do something. And when God in his wisdom chose not to, Paul moves towards seeing the blessing of our weakness, the goodness of our limitations, the process where Jesus shines brighter as we meet him in, those, in these broken places of our life. For Paul and for us, Weakness is the way. Weakness is also the way of Jesus. In his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul describes the cross as foolishness to those that are perishing. That God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. That the, the son of God dying on the cross, weak and frail, um, is in fact the way to experiencing life. The way to experiencing strength the way to experiencing wholeness and healing. It is through weakness. Our scars might never fully fade. Our thorns might never be fully removed. Our suffering, this side of heaven, may never fully end. But we cling to the hope of the resurrection of Jesus and the, and the resurrection to come. And the day that our weakness is perfected fully and completely. And that will be a, a beautiful, wonderful day that I look forward to. But until that day, 
Until that day, we can extend compassion to the weakness of others and our own weaknesses. Don't ever negate the, uh, the, the beauty of extending your self-compassion. We can bravely lean into our own thorn, trusting God with it and trusting others with our stories. We can give hope to those who have been suffering by confessing our own weaknesses. Never underestimate the power of vulnerability. We can be refreshingly honest and vulnerable with the people around us, trusting that Jesus will use our stories for his glory and for our good. Because when we are weak, it is then that we are strong. Let's pray. God, I don't know what all of our listeners are facing this morning, but you know. And God, we just, we ask for you to just wash those words over us, those words uh, that Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God, would you just allow that to seep into the inner parts of our souls? May we experience that deeply this morning. May we know that you are with us, that you are fighting for us, that you are, uh, that you are for us, that you are uh, with us all along the way. So God, by your spirit, may we uh, listen to what you are nudging us to do this week. Maybe it's to confess for the first time that we have weakness. Maybe it's to look a little deeper at our weaknesses and to explore how we might, uh, how we might become strong in those weaknesses. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.